So by now you know Tenny's Pizza, they're our favorite pizza joint and our number one sponsor. There's a couple reasons why Tenny's is really good at what they do. Probably the most is, well, they have amazing food, but they're able to do it at like this really efficient, very easy to reach cost price. For sure. Yeah. It, it's like, what's, so your price point's actually pretty low, right, Kevin? It's, it's the lowest out there. So I think a lot of people don't realize at Tenny's, we, we have, we try to keep our pricing really simple. So it works this way. If you want a medium pizza, which is a 12 inch pizza, you can get whatever toppings you want. There's 12 of them that we offer for five bucks. So, so every time you get like 15 toppings, there's 12, so 12 yeah. you get all 12 toppings. Yeah. And it'd be five bucks. Wow. So, and then a large would be nine bucks. I think the, the funny thing to me is people always think that because we have affordable pricing for our pizza that yeah. it, it's lower grade and that's such BS. That's like the exact opposite really. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it's like, how do you get lower grade vegetables? You know, it's just like, do you guys grow it in like Peru or something like that? <laughs> you know, I, you know, and so, and we use awesome ingredients. Our cheese is a hundred percent real. So literally if you're paying more money for pizza out there, because you think the higher price means better quality, at least in our case, that is not true. So come out to Tenny's. You guys can get an awesome pizza for five bucks for a medium or a large for nine bucks up to 12 toppings. Beautiful. Thank you, sir. Feed the family at a really cost effective price through Tenny's Pizza. Hey, welcome back to the Finding Strength Podcast. It's Matt, the host, the co-host, Matt Quackabush, that's me. Hey, I wanted to update you guys on a couple of things. Number one, we are actively seeking sponsorships. If you want to sponsor the podcast, get a commercial on the podcast, we would love to work with you. Uh, we're always trying to find out new ways to get this thing heard by more people. We've had an, an amazing following. We've got close to 30,000 downloads at this point. We've got an active listenership of anywhere from 500 to 3,000 people. I mean, it, it's crazy the response we've had, and we just are so appreciative of our Finding Strength listeners for the support you guys have given us, and we just want to thank you. And if you want to help us out more, let us know. Second, if you need a therapist and you live in the Utah County area or somewhere close, I would love to work with you. That's kind of one of the things that um, I do with my time besides the podcast and besides working at Deer Hollow where I work with uh, veterans and police officers and stuff like that and, just, and speaking all over the place too. I also have a private practice that I run. I run it one day a week. I don't see a ton of people, um, just like people who are really needing some help and really want to grind and get some work done. I'd love to work with you if that's something you're interested in. So reach out. And um, you can find me on Facebook, um, on Instagram. You can reach out through Finding Strength. You'll get a hold of me. Um, lastly, well, a couple more things. The beginning of the episode is um, kind of quiet. Bethany is kind of quiet. You can't really hear her because her mic is turned down, don't worry about that. Just be patient. You can hear her eventually. Also, we don't really introduce Gina Kratz very well in the very beginning, but that's who we have on this episode, Gina Kratz. She actually has a previous episode. If you want to hear that one, go back and check it out. I believe it's like episode five or six or something. I can't remember. Who knows? Anyways, Gina's amazing. Um, and I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. And 
of you to it. Enjoy. Bye. We're back. We're actually in the middle of a conversation about yoga. Okay, continue. Go ahead. Because Bethany's learning how to be a yoga teacher. And we have our old friend, Gina Kratz, here yes. with us. Yes. Hi. The published author, Gina. Yes. Anyways, okay, I interrupted you guys. So yoga, hold on. What, so you're... No, I was just saying, I, I'm in teacher training right now for yoga. So I love yoga, but teaching it freaks me out. Yeah, that, I, that like scares me. I want to do it more for like just the extra knowledge of... Yeah strengthening my own practice maybe eventually I would teach but like like that scares me it is really cool like <laughs> if I didn't have to teach it I actually love learning about it yeah like it's been super cool I've learned a lot mm-hmm. reading and all that stuff but like I have to start teaching like this last week she's like okay you have to start teaching next week I'm like you'll do great you'll do so good it's just intense I can I've done a lot of things in the fitness world. I've taught a lot of different classes. I've done a lot of different trainings and this is different. It's totally out of my element and I'm uncomfortable, but yoga has been so amazing for me for the last, like the last six months. I've been doing it a lot. Yeah. And it has helped me. I feel like it's helped me drastically just to like, like what? Like calming. Like mm-hmm. I am the type of person that flies off the handle mm-hmm. all the time. I mean, like you make me mad and I'm like cussing at you because I'm so <laughs> mad. Like, like that. You know what I mean? I've been on the receiving end. <laughs> <You're> so, <laughs> so it's kind of yeah. just helped me be more mindful of a lot of things. Like, especially with my kids and my husband to not like snap and just to yeah. be calmer. Like it I teaches I, you to I slow down. Like a, yeah. Yeah. I just feel like a calmer person and, I feel like it helps me. I mean, I've learned, I'm getting better at meditating mm-hmm. and that's helped a ton. Yeah, yeah. Like more than the actual like movements. Yeah. The movements are like just the beginning. It's all the other stuff with yoga. That's so cool. Yeah. Oh, and you that's know? what yoga is. It's like preparing your body for meditation. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been super cool. Yeah. Well, Gina, you're like the meditation professional person. Well, I don't know if I'd say professional. Well, do people pay you to meditate? (laughs) You're a professional. Yes. That's true. So you've done a bunch of meditation retreats, a couple, two, three? No, I've actually been doing guided meditations at the Salt Cave. That's what it is, guided meditations. at the Centered Stone. So I do them. I guide every second Thursday of the month, and we do a different theme every month, and people come, and we do an hour in the cave with about 20 to 30-minute meditation. And it's awesome. I love it. That's cool. That sounds yeah, it's amazing. Really, so, really cool. So, okay. Because I think people, as I talk to people, especially listeners of the podcast, we talk about meditation so much. And we've even talked, to, I think last time you are here, we talked about mm-hmm. it. We did. It, but it's like this foreign idea to people. And it mm-hmm. feels very, I don't know, difficult to like get into. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it's not. Mm-hmm. So maybe 
I think people could come to your meditation mm-hmm. Thursdays or whatever. Yeah. At the Salt Cave and really benefit from that. So maybe give us like the structure. What does it look like? What happens? How does it work? Just is in it... the cave or meditation alone? Sure. The cave. The so cave. Let's, what they come to the cave so experience, what's it like? The cave the cave is like the best place to start, even if you have never meditated before. Because right. just the health benefits of the Himalayan salt that's in there helps your body relax tremendously. So it makes my job super easy. Come into the cave. There's uh, zero gravity chairs that they have in there, like the ones you see, like outdoor ones. You lay your chair Mm -hmm. all the way back. You can bring in a blanket, and you just zone out. And really, by the time everyone lays their chairs back, I'm like, my job is like so easy. And I guide them through just relaxing every inch of their body. Um, Talk a lot about just the misconception of meditation, of like how you're not supposed to think at all, which is totally Mm -hmm. not what it's supposed to be. It's controlling what you're thinking about. Um, so my voice is kind of in there to help them stay connected to my voice instead of staying in their thoughts of what's not inside the cave. Um, we, when we first get in the cave, we do talk a little bit, we do, it's called a receiving circle. Um, so we all hold hands together and you say what you're there to receive and you say what you're there to give. And it can be simple things like I'm here to give friendship and knowledge and I'm here to get support and love. And that kind of gives me an idea of where I need to go with the meditation. It's kind of like a trick for me to see what people are thinking about before we even start. So it kind of helps me guide the meditation. Um, then we jump into a 20, 30 minute meditation, kind of just depending how long it takes people to relax, um, how long it takes me to get to a point where I feel like I'm connecting spiritually so that I can send that love, loving energy out to whoever's in the cave. And then when we're done with the meditation, I wake their body up. So it's also nice for people who have never meditated before. They're like, Oh, I'm going to fall asleep or they don't go in deep enough or they don't sit long enough. It's nice for someone to guide you because I'm like, I can watch your body and know when you've kind of hit that point, like, okay, she's in the zone. She's good. And I wait until everybody gets to that point and then I alert your body to open your eyes and wake up and and then we have a discussion about the meditation what you felt what you saw if somebody was with you what messages you received sometimes I do kind of a guide of like when you get into that realm that zone what did you hear what colors did you see was it a shape and people open up and we talk about it and have a discussion about it so it's it's really cool so the thing I really love about that is I feel like most people assume either are scared of meditation or assume it's simple. I almost feel like it's one of two. Yeah. It's either too hard or too easy. It's like, oh, I'm just going to sit here and close my eyes and just chill. And so I feel like the guided meditation, that's where I started was just Mm. my iPhone guided meditations, like an app. And because I feel feel like that helps a ton. Mm -hmm. The idea of, yeah, that you're not supposed to think anything is... Virtually impossible. Yes. Your brain doesn't stop. Your mind's only job is to think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, that's not going to happen. And I think once I let go of that idea, it actually helped a lot to be able to get into a meditative state. And I feel like it is different every time. Yeah. Sometimes it is just like, I've seen just colors Mm -hmm. and it's just pretty and it's calming and it's, you know, and then sometimes your mind's racing depending on what's been going on that day. Mm -hmm. So when you have someone's voice or an app of some sort, talking to you, it gives your mind something to focus on. Yeah. So then you can actually calm down. 
Yeah. Where if you have nothing to focus on or you haven't learned to do that yourself, which I haven't, Mm -hmm. then your brain is like, you know, constantly go, 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 squirrel every five seconds, you know? So anyways, I think that's awesome. I think that's a great place if people ever want to go and even to find connection with other people that are looking for the same thing. Yes. Yes. I mean that... The, like I said, the health benefits of the cave too, of just like helping your body relax and helping you sleep. And they, it's just to even be able to go and sit in the cave is awesome. But if you can do a meditation there, it's even that more powerful. And I don't know, it's just been something I think we kind of talked about last time I was Mm -hmm. here that I started doing after my concussion. And I've actually been surprised at how much I've been able to strengthen my practice of meditation. Like I was at my son's baseball game he had two games back to back at BYU for their fall league and it was starting to get really boring towards the end and my phone had died <laughs> and I'm like sitting there and all of a sudden I was like, I have not moved like a centimeter for like 20 minutes. I was totally like in this meditative state. I like That's stuck myself awesome. there and I was like facing the batter's box. So it kind of looked like I was watching the game. <laughs> <laughs> I totally wasn't, but I like stopped for a minute and I was like, man, that was really nice. Like <laughs> I just kind of dropped in and it felt great. And my brain kind of knows like, Hey, you need this. Or you like this morning was chaos. I've meditated twice already this morning. Cause I'm like, I feel like my mind's just going, my energy's going and there's a lot going on. And I'm like, okay, just stop. Dishes will wait. I can do them tomorrow or tonight. See, that's so good to recognize that. I think I don't always recognize when I'm like kind of going crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or I'll just, I don't, I've, I've been in a weird zone all morning and I just, don't didn't want to talk to anybody all day. Yeah, it's like, the kind of the energy today for some reason. It's because it's gloomy and sad outside. And that's it. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> I'm stoked to be alive. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. What, so the I, I love what you said, Gina, about like how your meditative practice is a part of your life. It's yeah. not just this thing that I like do once a day. That can be a part of it. Mm-hmm. But I think what happens is our minds are, are like the brain is obsessed with habitualizing behavior, right? It wants to like facilitate processes that we're doing constantly. Mm-hmm. So there's this there's this uh, principle when you start to study brain, whatever. It's called automaticity, right? And so that the brain has its automatic way of thinking. And so what happens basically is you condition your mind to do certain things. And so if I do something consistently, my brain just thinks that that's what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And that can be for ineffective behaviors or effective behaviors. And so the meditative practice, what that does is it conditions our brain through automatic thinking to default to this meditative practice rather than to anxiety, like many of us are defaulted to, mm-hmm. to panic to paranoia, to hypervigilance, to all these things that a lot of people, that's just how they live, right? I, I find that so many people are unable to even sit still that they can't be alone. And if they are alone, they have to go do something, whether that's cleaning, whether that's mm-hmm. getting on the phone, or that's whatever. And so I think this practice of meditation constantly, your body and mind kind of sync up and they just start to do it automatically. And I think that's the real benefit of this is, is in those moments when you're just like, Oh, I'm stuck. There's so much going on. The automatic thinking is, I know what, let's, let's just chill for a second. Let's meditate, Mm -hmm. which is really just pausing, right. And noticing your surroundings and connecting to your soul, yourself, your breath, the breath, Mm -hmm. connecting you to the moment right now. And that becomes habitual in your life. Like, 
all of a sudden it, things that were really complicated before become very, very simple. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the beauty of this practice that is not unique to uh, spiritual gurus or yogis or I don't know, weirdos like myself, <laughs> right? Like therapy people. Like this is something that people can do. It doesn't matter if you like have a different faith practice. Like this is a this is a habit that you can get yourself into that I've said this on this podcast before, but that over in the East, they've been doing this for millennia. Yes. And it's we disco- not new. <laughs> no, and we like Westerners, we white people discovered it like what We're like, like oh my God. 50 years ago. This is amazing. <laughs> Have you guys heard of this thing? And I say crazy that all the time. It's nuts. Oh yeah. Like We're the more so I learn about behind. that, I'm like, what is so behind? Why? Why yeah. are we so behind? Yeah. Because I honestly I feel like because Europe, just kidding. Oh. I know, but it's it is weird because I'll sit and listen to these different Buddhist things, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this stuff is so. It really is simple Simplified. and basic, and should mm-hmm. be like a a daily practice and a regular thing. And yet we've looked at it, and I say this for myself for years, like it's this weird, you know, like yeah. I don't know how to explain, it. just like creepy. I don't know. I thought it was the weirdest thing when I was growing up when people talked about yoga. I'm like, oh <laughs> hell, yoga, seriously. And now I'm like, yoga solves everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's That's true. And a lot of it, these breathing. Yeah. Like when you were talking the about breath. this breathing. Oh, man. When you were talking Huge. about meditation. It's mm-hmm. unreal. Yeah. Who would have thought? I had no idea that yeah. by controlling your breath, by slowing it down, mm-hmm. by paying attention to it, that you can you can solve a lot of problems. Like yeah. you can get yourself into a calm state. You can ease your mind. You can get rid of anxiety. It can help you sleep. All these things from breathing. Yeah. You don't need anything. It's Mm-mm. it's one of those things. I've actually been talking to my kids about it since they started school um, a couple months ago. But it was like you have everything that you need inside of you. Everything. Everything that you need. Your breath to heal your body, to make connection, to soothe your anxiety. Like it's all inside your body. Like you're not given anything that your body cannot overcome um on a spiritual level I think and I think that's one thing there's several things I think wrong with the culture that we grew up in and obviously the church which you guys have talked about a lot but I'm like that was my other biggest misconception is that there's no difference between meditation and prayer and I'm like there's a huge difference it's totally different you Mm -hmm. know and but when I sit down to meditate I probably get more answers than I've ever gotten in my life which is actually why I wrote the book was during a meditation and right after my concussion, I'd sit down to meditate and I'd just keep hearing, you're a writer, you're a writer, you're a writer. And I was like, eh, not really. But then I just kept hearing it, hearing it and I'm journaling it and journaling it. And I'm like, okay, this is an answer. Like I need to listen to this. And that's what happens when you quiet your mind and you control your breath. You start to hear the things that your body needs or something doesn't feel right. Something hurts right here. And you draw attention to that and put the energy towards it. And you get so many answers amazing it is it is um great segue by the way just like did a little book plug there i really didn't mean to do that that. That that was not intentional however that is definitely where we need to go because you just wrote a book i did and i want to talk about what's happened because the last time it's been over a year right yeah since i was on last right yes yes i finished the book in january so, so I was we, writing. So we haven't. Here. Yeah. So we haven't talked about. No. 
what's no, there happened was even, since there, then. There was even stuff last time that she was like, I can't talk about this until the book comes out. And so we're like on pins and needles <laughs> waiting to hear these things you couldn't talk about because the book's out now. Yes. So no spoiler. Just kidding. Yeah. So the book, so you finished it in January. Yep. And then you just, so fill us in on the process since then. Cause I know now it's like published, it's out. Yes. I've started reading it. It's freaking awesome. If you guys you. haven't started reading it, it is, oh, oh anyways. Okay. Go ahead. Tell us all about <laughs> it because it's, it's so, pretty, it's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. The write the writing was actually done January. Um, it took me a year to write it. I'm hoping the next one doesn't take as long, but, um, it's a very sensitive personal subject that was hard to jump back into. So I took a lot of breaks. It was like, okay, am I ready to do this today? I'm not feeling it. It's a story I had to go back into in those emotions to make it good. So it took a while. Um, Since January, it's been kind of this learning curve of like, do I want to self-publish? Do I want to find a publisher? How do I do that? What does it look like? What does printing look like? So it's been a lot of trial and error of what do I want to do? How do we do it? How do I format the book? I mean, it's been... My husband, I think, was ready to kill me. I'm like, I can't do this. <laughs> like, it's done. It's good. I'm not putting it out there. He's like, uh, no, you're finishing this, um, which I'm glad I did. So I ended up just, I did self-publishing. I did it through Kindle Direct Publishing, which is an awesome, awesome program. Mm. Um, really dove into watching YouTubes and finding out about, you know, search words and all the stuff that I needed to know that I had no idea about. And got it up, and it's live on Amazon and ebook form or paperback, and you can order it straight from them. And it was a very huge learning curve, but it's done. So, I mean, if people want to get this book, what what did, what's it called? <laughs> that might help. <laughs> a seemingly unfillable heart, an adoption journey. So, and it's all about the kind of the journey we talked about last time with you. Yes placing your daughter for adoption. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's from the very beginning. So finding out that I was pregnant in the middle of Mormon culture and my parents and my family very still active and having that conversation with them, um, meeting with LDS family services and making the decision to place, um, working with them and finding a family. And it's every detail of the whole entire process. Uh, There was actually stuff in there. I meet my husband in the book, obviously. And there was stuff in there that he's like, I didn't even know this happened. Like I didn't either. I didn't remember. You didn't tell me, or it was just kind of details of the conversation that we'd never had before. Cause they didn't seem to really matter. But as I was telling the yeah. whole story, it, it made, they were for a purpose for a reason. Um, there's parts of my journal that are in there cause I kept journals through the whole entire experience, which I'm so grateful now. Cause there was a lot that I had forgotten as well. Um, so all of that, I mean, down to, her parents getting divorced, me having my kids, and then eventually, when you read the book, being reunited with her. So tell us just a little bit about that, because oh, that's man. the part that at the end, after we were done recording last time, you're like, I've met uh, her, and we're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I like wasn't sure. I'm like, do I say, do I not? It was just kind of well, like, I'm in the middle of writing it, and so I don't know how to communicate it fully yet. And even like, as we're starting to talk about, I can feel my body like getting all jazzed. Like, well, because you hadn't, you hadn't told really anybody no. what happened. Like it wasn't even out on social media. And since no. then you've kind of like publicly talked about yeah, this experience. Yeah. It's been leaked out a little bit since then. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my daughter who I raised, um, she had tried out for this dance program up in Salt Lake. 
out of like 60 dancers, she made it and it was awesome. We were all thrilled about it. And her dress rehearsals and her performances were at Trolley Square. And we happened to be there one day. She was in the middle of like costume and wigs and makeup. And when you practice at Trolley Square, it's just like an old storefront. So people who are walking around the mall can see through the windows and see what's going on. And usually I would be sitting out in the hallway just waiting for her. She'd have like four or five hour rehearsals and we live an hour away. So I just stay there and hang out in Salt Lake or watch her or whatever. And um, that day they were doing wigs and stuff. So I was actually inside the room. So my back was to the window. And Evie, my daughter, um, came up to me and she's looking out the window and she said, mom, you know, all that girl out there in the hallway, she looks just like, you know who? And I was like, oh my gosh, no way. And it was just like, yeah, whatever. Kids have said that before. And I didn't even turn around. She was like, no mom, like for real, like she's in a BYU sweatshirt. And just as I like get halfway to turn around, I'm like, that really could be her. Like, is that her? Like, no way. I have not seen her since she was four days old. Um, and at the time she was 17, she had just turned 17 and I turned around and I see her adoptive dad and he just kind of like put his hands up and shrugged his shoulders like, Hey, like, sorry, this is us. happening. Hey, this is happening. <laughs> yeah. Whether we want it to or not. Yes. I wow. can't even like, I've, I've written it down. I've edited it a million times and I've told the story a dozen times and I still cannot, it feels so surreal to me. But I turned back to Evie and I was just like, that's her. It's her. Like, and we're both just staring at each other. Like, I don't even know what to do, which was funny because I really didn't know what to do. I got up to the door and you couldn't see out the windows from the door. So I'm kind of just standing there and I'm like, you know what? One, I don't want to walk out there and see them walking away. And two, what if she's just like not ready? Like, I don't, I felt this like pull of like, also this like legal matter in my mind of like, can I really like approach them? Like, Mm -hmm. is that like a thing? So I just stood there, which felt like an eternity. I'm sure it wasn't very long, but I kind of peeked out the window to see if they were still there. And I saw her dad motion said, come on out. And by the time I just recognized her from pictures. Yeah. So we, we had a semi open placement. So for the first five years, I received pictures and letters as often as I wanted several times a month, whatever until she turned five. And then every year we'd get a picture and a letter on her birthday. So even Evie at the time had a picture of her in a room. I think she was probably 13 or 14 at the time in that picture. So she hadn't seen her, a picture of her for a couple years and recognized her. And did your daughter recognize you? So what happened is her dad pulled her aside and said, Hey, your birth mom is actually sitting in that room. Do you want to meet her? And she was like, yeah, yeah. Totally. And that's when he was like, Hey, come on out. Like, oh my gosh. It, it was, it's wild. I can't even, like I said, I still like feel the emotions as I tell this story. I'm like, it was in October. I had just quit my corporate job in August to write this story. I really thought I had gone crazy, like walked away from some good money from my family and was just like, you know what, I'm going to write a book. And in October when we ran into her, I just, it was like the stars had aligned and I'm like, this is exactly where the book ends. This is like me making this full circle of so much grief and so much pain and so much healing that needed to be taken care of, which is still ironically happening. It didn't just all end there. It's that's, what's weird about writing a book is like I finished it in January and as much growth and as much as the story has evolved, Mm -hmm. I feel like I could just jump right back in and write another one. But yeah, Someday, it was right? it was wild. <laughs> it was really, 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 cool. really cool. And that's one of the coolest, like, 
reunification stories I think I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. What are the odds, number one? Number two, the fact that it just worked out. And then yeah. since then, you guys have remained in touch, right? Like, yeah. Like you guys yeah. like still see yeah, each other. So what's, and, what yeah. has that looked like? So she, I mean, she was only 17, so I took it really slow. <clears throat> I was kind of like, you know what? She's not 18 yet. I'm going to let her really guide the relationship and see where things are going. Um, she texts a lot. We hadn't talked on the phone very much. And then last November, she came to Utah for a, a funeral and said, I want to see everyone. And they had like maybe three or four hours one evening. We found out two days before she was coming. So I'm like, great, like, come on over. Who do you want there? Cause I'm like, I could fill this whole house <laughs> with everybody. And she was like, everyone, I want to meet everybody. So my whole family, my husband's family, everybody showed up and she came and it was probably one of the most, for lack of words, sacred moments of my life um, to see her talking to my dad, mm. like standing in my kitchen is just something that I never thought that I would see. And even interviewing my parents as I was writing the book, um, my dad said to me, he said, you know, it would really be great if I got to see her before I died. Aww, and I awesome. remember looking at him like, that's so much freaking pressure. Like, <laughs> I don't have control over that. Yeah. I had not ran into her for the first time yet. And I'm looking at him like, there's nothing more than I want to give that to you. But I like, I literally have no control over that. So it was, oh my God, it was only what, nine months after that, she's standing in the kitchen talking to my dad. And it was amazing. It's, it's like I talk about in the, in the book, it's like this heart that I thought was never going to be filled. was just like exploding everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Does so. she live close by now or is she still no, far away? No, so she doesn't live, she doesn't live in Utah. She's going to school. Um, she's doing awesome. And we've maybe talked on the phone a handful of times, but mostly just text and keep in conversation. And she sends me pictures and chats with my kids on social media and you know, she'll make like some comment and we're all like freaking out about it. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> How's like that? a celebrity. That's cool. yeah. yeah. How's that been for your kids? Has it been exciting or has it been like a, it's a, an been, adjustment? I think it's just been more kind of awkward. Like they're not quite sure what to do. Like how much do they talk? How much do they, it's like, this is your there's sister. there's no rules for how to navigate no. this sibling-ish relationship. Yes. Yeah. And my kids are quite shy too, even socially without all that complication. Um, so they, I mean, they obviously, they always knew about her. I mean, that was something that Brian and I had decided at the very beginning is like, we're not going to drop this huge secret on our kids all of a sudden that, Hey, you have this half sibling out there somewhere. So they, they grew up knowing that she was there and asking questions about her. And like I said, when Evie was like, Hey, that looks just like her. It was like, that was not the first time I had heard that, you know? So Jet, my youngest, actually, he was, almost eight at the time when she came to the house, he was like nutso. Like he could not control his energy. He was super hyper and just like running around everywhere in Crete. And I was like, his little mind could just not, <laughs> could not comprehend what was going on. The older two, um, they've done really well. I mean, they just have like, they've loved her their whole lives. Um, for Evie, it's, that's her only sister and that's how it's always been. And, um, building that relationship, is a little bit slower than I probably have wanted even between her and I and with my kids. But I think just over time it will just get stronger and deeper. So it's freaking cool. 
Thank you. It, re- it really is remarkable how, because I, I like I said, I haven't read the whole book, but I've read the beginning of it. To hear how that is now what's happening, mm-hmm. juxtaposed against how it all began, <laughs> because the beginning of this book, you got. It, by the way, you are a brilliant writer. Like it's Thank very you. descriptive. I read a ton, and so to to be that engaged and enthralled with the book, and you can hear your voice in it really well. There's like this kind of like I don't know. The, you have really great sense of humor, and you can totally hear it in how you talk about it because it's kind of self deprecating. <laughs> It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to hear and to hear like your teenager voice come out Mm -hmm. in this beginning part of the book is really, really cool. And I think I've actually since recommended the book three times to three different clients I'm working with, all who have placed children for adoption. Oh, thank you. And one of them is reading it and she's just like, she's like, this is it. This is my story. Like I totally, (laughs) nobody's ever been able to tell me my story before. This is my, it's really cool because I work with ex-Mormon or currently Mormon women Mm -hmm. who've placed children for adoption. And it's a very difficult process in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you really talk about in there that, that, that is quite moving is just how do I wrestle with, I think we went into this a little bit last time, but I'd like to hit it again. How do I wrestle with the shame that I feel Mm -hmm. at the time and understanding now that that's a shame culture that you had to navigate as a kid. So maybe, yeah. I don't know how you talk us through that, but that's a big deal in the yeah. beginning. Yeah. And what's funny is like, I look back on it now and I probably feel more shame in it now than I did in the actual process of it. And I'm not sure why that was. Hmm. Um, obviously there was shame of just like being pregnant and walking around the community and, and having that. But I, I kind of, like you said, I kind of had this attitude as a teenager, like, I don't give a shit what you think about me. Mm -hmm. And it kind of carried into even after placing where I have, I've always been this very spiritual person inside and outside of the church. I always felt the strong connection of like finding answers through meditation. And I found this answer of like, this is what you're supposed to do. And nobody was going to tell me otherwise. And I'm like, I, I couldn't understand why, I should feel shameful for that when I was like, I received this like really clear answer that this is what I'm doing. So I'm not going to be embarrassed by it and I'm not going to hide it. And I talk about that in the book is like after placing, there wasn't birth moms that were telling their story and standing up and talking about it. And cause there is so much shame wrapped in around it. And especially in Utah of just having sex before you're married and and I talk about it as well. It just my sister coming in and saying, like, you're not the only one sinning, quote unquote. Like, you're just the one that got caught. And she was right. And I was like, you know what? I, it just naturally flowed into, like, I'm going to be this voice of I'm not ashamed that this is what I decided to do, you know? Um, as time went on, I think the shame has affected me more than, a, than I realized as how, I've gotten how older. So I'm super curious about that because um, I think I relate to that myself as well because yeah. Brindy and I were not married when we got pregnant, right? Yeah. And so I had to do the whole like break the news to my parents thing and that was horrible at the time. And I totally have gone through the shame journey of like figuring myself out and what that means to me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious how what that process was like for it's, you. It's funny is I've really only come to this kind of conclusion over the last couple months of it turned more into like, I'm afraid of making a mistake. 
Mm-hmm. I'm afraid of making the totally. wrong. Dis- mm-hmm. I'm afraid of doing that wrong, even down to just like, I think, like I told you, we just moved out to Saratoga and I was like that decision of like, what if this is wrong? You know, like I just, it played more into, I have to prove myself in this way that's even higher than everybody else because I was that teenage pregnancy. So it's like, I'm going to start my own nonprofit. I'm going to be like the perfect mom. I'm going to get a job and also be still work, you know, working mom, but also the perfect at home mom. And then I'm going to write a book and cause that's going to make everything better. And it's funny. It's like, I finished the book and I was like, Hmm, well, <laughs> things still feel the same. Like why, why am I still carrying this weight of like the shame turned into, I have to prove myself over and over again. And at what point does someone finally look at me and go, your book is amazing. You did amazing and you're amazing. And I actually believe Believe what they're saying. Like, so that's been a lot of my meditation over the last couple of months is just going, you're okay. Like to just be how you are and you're going to make mistakes and the book's not going to feel something for you or running the birth mother baskets or whatever. (laughs) It's so funny because it's like, I'm sitting here thinking like, I do the same thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Like I, I constantly think since, you know, leaving our religion and going through all that, I have to prove to everybody Mm -hmm. that like, no, even without the church, my marriage is awesome. Mm -hmm. Even without any religion in my life. Look, I'm a good person. And I feel like same exact same thing. I feel like I have to go above and beyond to prove to people, no, I'm a good person Mm -hmm. without this, you know? And I, but I, it is exhausting. It is like, well, why do I have to do that? Why, why do we do that? Therapist. We we talked about it. She just said it's because of shame, right? It's It's this. And you just can't get rid of it because. Well, God, I'm almost 40 years old. I'm done with it. The, the, <laughs> it's but, so true, though. Well, and what you're talking about, Gina, you, you hit the nail on the head, right? We're constantly in this endless battle of, am I enough? Yeah. And how do I decide if I'm enough? Do I ask somebody else? So I look at Bethany and go, hey, do you think I'm okay? And then you're like, yeah, you're doing great. And then my inner monologue is, well, if you really knew everything, you wouldn't be saying that, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like this thing that we wrestle with. And the culture of perfectionism is not unique to Mormonism or Christianity, mm-hmm. right? Uh, one, one of my favorite Brene Brown things she talks about is, is hustling for your worthiness. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what we're talking about. And I'm <laughs> the ultimate hustler. I'm the <sighs> ultimate hustler. I'm the guy that's like, okay, I got a master's degree. All right, I'm going to... Okay, when am I getting the PhD? How to plan this? Bigger, better, always go, go, go. Yeah. Because I'm trying to prove to somebody that I'm good enough. Mm-hmm. And someday that person's going to look at me. I don't know who that person is. And they're going to be like, you're enough today. And I'm just going to be like, finally, I've made it. Just like you're talking about. Yeah. And it doesn't And exist. it doesn't work because it's it all in exist. your head. It is. It's a figment of our imagination. And the thing that we that I talk about all the time is basically, can you be better than you are right now? Can well, you do better than you're doing right now? I'm sure. Everybody can. As we all could, yeah. Actually, you can't. And here's why. Where does this doing better exist? Maybe. Really. I think, honest- when does doing better exist? Does it exist in the future? No, I honestly, I think I literally just thought of the fact that I said that mm-hmm. because that is what I've been taught my whole life. Right. 
So we, we believe so, like, it's true. just like regurgitated. It just came out. Yeah. yeah. We both, like, I didn't even think about it at the same it. time. Yeah. Because yeah. the idea is I need to do better than I'm doing right now. The problem is you can't because yeah. that would mean that this better version of yourself would have to exist now and it can't. The better version of yourself exists, exists where? In the future, which is a figment of your imagination. The future is imaginative. The past is a representation of our imagination. The only thing that is real, the meditation teaches us, that being here right now teaches us, is that this moment is the only thing that actually exists. And I can do no better than I'm doing right now. I'm enough now, forever, always, the end, period, done. Mm-hmm. And if I can live life like that, if we can live life like that, and just try to accept that what I have in this moment is enough, then the future becomes brighter and the past becomes lessons learned and they give me meaning rather than shame. There's something wrong with me. I could have done better. It's my fault, blah, 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 right? And this, I mean, this is stuff that I wrestle with, but it's also stuff that I talk day in and day out with like the craziest stories you've ever heard. Like just people who... If you heard their story, it it'll blow, it'll blow your mind what people go through, mm-hmm. and yeah. they're they're amazing human beings. Yeah, and they're everywhere. And yeah, like even just us three sitting here in this room, right? Like what we've been through collectively. <laughs> yeah, it's an it's insane. Like it's remarkable that yeah. we're able to be here now, and if we let shame take over and say we're not enough, I mean, of course we're going to hustle for our worthiness. We're going to try and be mm-hmm. perfect and try and do better than we can do, which is impossible. The, the thing that always, that's actually been going through my mind a lot and I've been able to pinpoint a little bit is this voice in me. That's like, who do you think you are? Mm. Who do you think you are to write a book? Who do you think you are to come on the podcast? Like, who do you think you are? You're not special. Exactly. And I allow myself to play small and, and, and I don't know if that has so much to do with the church that we were raised in, but, but I find people in my life who actually feed into that too. Like you are small, stay small. Don't, don't go big. Like big is scary. Right. And I've tried to constantly tell myself, and I think a lot of that comes from shame is like play big. Like it's okay to play big. Don't go small. Don't go small. Because I, I do that every time I like, I get this book done and I'm like, it's done. And like I said, I was like, I don't need to put it out. I'm not going to publish it. I finished it. It's fine. Like I'm going to go back into this comfortable, small, shameful, who do I think I am? Because what if they don't like it? Exactly. <laughs> right? Well, that's our, then, that's our defense mechanism, right? Totally. Like in our brain, that is the defense mechanism is neg- negativity yeah. because that keeps you from doing things. It's yeah. like, well, if that negative voice keeps, you know, chirping at you constantly, you do, you become small and mm-hmm. you, you don't step out and you don't do the scary things that could create more negativity or they could create something amazing, yeah. which is more likely than not. But that's my brain, like I noticed that this morning when I was just like, you know, just blah, mm-hmm. just woke up blah. Like really there's nothing, I, I'm not depressed, I'm not, I'm just ugh. Mm-hmm. And then my brain just starts making these things up, you know, like just starts thinking about things that have happened in the last 24 hours and what does that mean? And it's, my brain goes negative every time. Well, that's yeah. what this means. I also think that happens when you go on this spiritual journey outside of the church everything becomes this like deeper meaning like mm-hmm. oh wait why did this just happen oh why did this and mm. it's like you said it's like you have to look like your life is great because you're trying to prove everyone that you left the church and now it's still fine mm-hmm. when it's like really like 
we are also screwed up and life is just screwed up. I mean, it's like you said, like we have all been through so much so in this much. room, inside the church and outside, outside. the church. Totally. But the one thing that's always there, which is so weird to me, is is the shame and the conditioning and the beliefs that have been in us for so long. It's like just trying to break that habit of what is unhealthy, of the negativity and the shame and what life hands us. But it's like that is inside the church and outside the church. Like That's just human. It's just, yeah, it's just life. And that, I think for me, like, you know, when I first started talking out and speaking about being a birth mom, um, I couldn't understand why people were we're not just being human. Like just say your crap. We're all going through it. Mm -hmm. I know what you're going through because people talk to me a lot and I know it. So I'm like, why are we putting on this facade of like, everything's great? Oh, cause it's so much easier, right? Like it's, I, I just thought that this weekend I was with my family and, um, like all my siblings pretty much that live here. Um, it was my dad's 75th birthday and I was just kind of sitting there and I just, I've just discovered lately that I kind of sit around and just, I just want to listen. I just want to pay attention. Mm-hmm. I just want to see it's, I've gotten way more into just feeling the energy around me and I really like it or hate it and want to run away. Mm-hmm. But I realize like some, it's that you get around certain people and they just, it's surface. It's boring. And that sounds, that sounds mean, but it is. It's just, they're so scared to tell you anything Mm-hmm. which in turn makes you not want to tell them anything. And it just becomes like all the very surface weather and what are my kids doing? And they're involved in this and this and this and blah, blah, blah. Well, then I had, well, I shouldn't say I, my Kevin was sitting there and my littlest brother, I say little, he's like 32, but um, starts asking like real questions, like not just, so what's going on? What's new? It was like real, hey, so asking about Brighton a Day stuff and wanted to know this and this and this and details. And it turned into like a two-hour conversation between him and his wife and Kevin and I. And I was like, this is what I am continually searching for. Mm-hmm. And not always about us and what's going on with us. It's like, tell me what, you know, shit's hit the fan lately at our house where it's just been exhausting and emotional and not necessarily in a bad way, I guess, but just overwhelming and it's like, why, why don't I ever hear that from anyone else? Why doesn't anyone ever say, you know what? Things are really hard right now. Here's why. Yeah. You know, or tell me, instead of just telling me what's going on with your kid's life, what are you, what's your passion? What's your interest? What's your anything more than, yeah, well, I do this every day and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I'm so over it. And it's creating one of two things. It's creating for some people these deep friendships, but then it's also creating these relationships with people that I'm like, I don't really care to be around you. It's not because I don't love you, but the energy that it comes with it and the, yeah, just the conversation, I guess I am so uninterested in that. Mm -hmm. Like I am now craving the deeper, meaningful conversations, you know? And so that's been an interesting It's like, and people think it sounds like, well, I don't care about these certain people. It's like, no, that's not true at all. I just, I need more. And I don't know if it's my age or just life in general or just experience, but man, I, it's like, there's not enough time in a day 
for all the boring bullshit. The small talk. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm the worst at it. The worst. I'm like, let's go deep. Let's go real. Like the second I meet you, <laughs> yes. and I'm, which I, is good and bad, I guess. I don't know, but I, I appreciate it. it because <laughs> yeah, I think I've grown up with that my whole life. And mm-hmm. now I'm like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I'm so bored with it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm <Yeah>. sorry. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious, you said you are struggling with something similar or not really? Do you struggle with that? Like I, Bethany does, I've or? kind of been like that my whole life. Like even when I was little, um, I couldn't understand why people didn't love as deeply as I did, or they mm-hmm. weren't as passionate about things as I was. I think I blamed it a lot on just being like that crazy artistic mind of like goth and darkness. Cause I was writing poetry and drawing pictures that were not what they should be, I guess, <laughs> quote unquote. Um, I've been that way my whole life and kind of thought that maybe there was something wrong with me that I wanted the conversation to go deeper. I wanted more. I wanted to talk about how I was feeling and how I felt horrible as a teenager, even before I got pregnant. Um, so I, I think, as it, as I gotten older, like I've just attracted people that are the same way. You know, we, we actually have a mutual friend that's kind of similar. Like we just don't, we don't bullshit about stuff that's like the weather and, you know, we, we call it, I love her. We like, (laughs) we've solved the world's problems. That's what we say. Like we'll talk for like three hours and we're like, well, we just solved the world's problems. So I'll see you tomorrow, (laughs) you know, like, and we start all over again, but it's like, there's something refreshing about that. There's something that when you leave that religion and you leave what's kind of spoon fed to you, you're searching for what it is that you now find fulfilling. What is it that's going to teach me this or what, where am I going to feel more centered? And, and what's so exciting about that is you get to discover it and you get to figure out what works for you. And, you know, I, I clung onto the meditation. That was more just because of the concussion, not necessarily even the church, but I'm like, that's my thing. And that's, I'm not saying it will work for everyone, but that's what has helped I am. me. I'm saying it will work for everybody. <laughs> well, okay, I so, actually am. <laughs> so here's my weird theory stuff that I get into because I because I like you love to think deeply and ponder. I and, like your theories because I just go into my head all the time <laughs> and I come up with weird ideas. This is actually based in some Buddhist stuff. Weird that I would bring that up. I know, <laughs> but my idea with this because I've thought about this very thing before is, what if that's just the life that we're in now? What if like this time around, right? Cause like there's like reincarnation stuff. What if this time around, that's just kind of like the level that we're on and maybe other people aren't on that. It's not that they're not good enough. Mm-hmm. It's just this time around. That's not what they're, they're, that's not what they're searching for. Not what they're searching mm-hmm. for. Not what they're working on. Right. Like the whole old soul thing, mm-hmm. right? Like I connect with people who are old soul people, like who could be, which doesn't mean no, old people. No, it, not like, at all. There's a, a huge difference. <laughs> huge. No, I used to think that's what difference. it meant. Yeah, honestly, no, it's just like people who like you. You meet this person, you're like, man, you have like this depth and wisdom that somebody your age typically doesn't have. Like, I get you, and I'm not saying that's how I am. I'm just saying those type of people I connect with because they can talk a little bit deeper about things, about ideas and philosophy and spiritual stuff and connection. I don't. I just think it's interesting. And other people don't, and that's cool. Does that mean that my relationship with them is going to be as deep as it is with somebody else who might want to talk about those deep things? Probably not. Is it okay that they're on maybe the fringe of my relationship, uh, I guess, capacity? I don't know. I don't, I'm not really sure, but I definitely bring people in closer to me who I can get in deep with than I do 
people who are more superficial. Does that make me wrong? I don't know. That's just how I have found things going for me over the past several years. And I've been pretty happy. I don't know. Yeah. Because there's, I, I know people who don't do that and they're kind of bitter and cynical and angry. Not that you're always bitter and cynical and angry if you don't talk about deep stuff all the time, but I, I should, that's just been my experience that when you're really hypercritical of the world around you, it's hard to get in deep because you're so critical of yourself mm-hmm. that talking about yourself feels overly vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what they're working on this time around. But maybe that's I, their journey this life. I think that I actually like that thought process because I do think it's everyone's on a different level and it's not like a one to 10 level. It's just no. in different, like searching for different things, Stages needing different things in their life. That's I, yeah. I don't even know if levels is the right word because yeah, no, I don't, I wouldn't, we say, I don't think there's one better realms. than another realms. There you You're go. like realms. in a different realm. realms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Like a spiritual realm, realm. of like where your yeah. mind will allow you to go, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I so like this concept that. Is, is it exists somewhere else besides my head. Is that what you're telling yeah. me? Oh, okay. So you've heard something <laughs> like this before. All right, cool. But it is true. And it's because I feel like I've pretty much always been, I mean, there are people I'm more guarded around for sure. But like, if you're my friend, you pretty much know every detail about my life. <laughs> Good and it's healthy. Bad. It's Good healthy and though. bad. But I like it because yeah. I mean, I'll say things that I'm like around, you know, my close group of friends, like literally I would tell them anything. Yeah. There's no holds bar. There's nothing yep. I wouldn't share. There's nothing. So, and I guess that's, Maybe that's okay that I just have that small group of friends yeah, that and, have that. And that's you know? not for everyone. Yes. That's not for it everyone. It makes people, some people really uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> I probably make some people very uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, I'm okay with that. And I think it's okay to challenge people out there to have like maybe like a foray into being a little deeper with people who are close to you and seeing what that yeah. feels like and seeing if you're able to open up and connect in a new way that you haven't before. Well, it's Even like though it's scary. We, as a human being, we all thrive and crave connection on a certain level. Mm-hmm. And whether you're willing to admit that to yourself and open up to certain people, or maybe that's just your spouse or whatever, but it's like your body is craving it, whether you're drawing the energy and attention to it or not. Subconsciously, your mind wants to connect with somebody on that level about grief, about loss, about love, about spirituality, meditation, Buddhism, whatever it is. It's like... Right. We naturally crave that. And if you're suppressing that and allowing yourself to stay on the surface because you're afraid what people will think or you don't want people to see your mistakes, your body's still craving it, mm-hmm. whether you're willing to admit it or not. So for me, I'm kind of like, you know what? I feel like everyone should just throw it all out there and see what happens because the connection that you make is so much greater of a reward than shoving everything down. It's kind of the experience that we get in the caves with the meditation is like when people are really willing to go, Hey, I kind of felt this somebody else in the group that who does not know this person will bring up the conversation and build this connection. And it's like all of a sudden everyone in that cave that was strangers now has this like way deeper appreciation for one another. And that's what we all want in the cave or outside the cave is the connection. Well, it's that vulnerability and vulnerability is kind of like the, it's not necessarily necessarily the antidote to shame, but it definitely is the start to creating the antidote for shame, right? And the antidote for shame is actually self-compassion and empathy. Those mm-hmm. two things combined, whether they're similar or not, they squash shame. 
And the crazy thing about shame, and we'll go into a, just a brief moment of like lecture time about what shame is and why it exists, because I think this is actually really fascinating. Shame actually has an evolutionary purpose, and that's something that we don't really think about. But when you think about shame, what is it? What is shame like motivating us to do? What is what does shame get you to do? It gets you to go to other people and ask them what they think of you, mm-hmm. right? So you're looking for acceptance. Looking for acceptance, right? Why would Mother Nature, evolution, whatever, mm. God, create that within us so that we don't leave the herd? Mm-hmm. So that we're a part. We need people. Mm-hmm. Because in order for the species to go on, it doesn't matter if we're happy. The happy species, it's not really evolutionary, very important. Yeah. Being happy is not important to this species because that doesn't make it last. From biological level, the species will go on if we just stay together. Yeah. So mammals actually carry shame. There's a part of their brains that is similar to ours. They don't have the prefrontal cortex like the human does, but they do have the anterior cortex, which is a part of the brain where when we're in shame, it actually fires up. You can see it through these fMRIs. And that is this part of the brain that then kicks into gear the actual the limbic system, which is the fight or flight mechanism. It's the same thing, creates the same responses, increases adrenaline, opens up cortisol, um, hormones and things like that. It's very, very interesting to see how shame works. And the design is to get us going back to the herd, turning back and being a part of something, right? So now you think about it. What is shame always designed to do? Keep you a part of something, whether a religion, whether that's a culture, whether that's a country, whether that's this, that, or the other, shame keeps you stuck in it. And when you get out of shame and you go to self-compassion and empathy, what's the very next thing you decide to do? Leave those people behind. Start having deep conversations, connecting with smaller groups of people rather than larger groups of people. You're finding your new herd. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Finding out that you're okay on the fringe and you don't need to be a part of the in crowd or the click, Right. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of see how it works through evolution. And um, so if you guys, if you ever want to look up some really cool self-compassion stuff, this woman named Kristen F., Dr. Kristen F., she talks about self-compassion. And she writes, and this is really cool, instead of mercilessly judging and criticizing yourself for various inadequacies and shortcomings, self-compassion means you are kind and understanding when confronted with personal failings. After all, whoever said you were supposed to be perfect? It's really good, huh? Yeah, that is good. And so shame tells us we have to be perfect. What does perfect mean? Like everybody else. Self-compassion says, who do I have to be like? Me. It's cool, huh? Yeah. It's yeah, freaking it's cool. really cool. Kristen F. has some really, really cool stuff. I feel like my mind blown, is blown right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, good. it's good. It's cool, huh? I'm just like kind of just staring at you. Like, I yeah. never, seriously, because yeah. I've never... I never have heard that before Yeah, about like even animals and stuff. And I'm like, this all is making like weirdly making sense. Totally. Right. Yeah. Cause we all want to be a part of the, we all want to be a part of the click yeah. and we have this standard, these social constructed norms that you say know, you got to be like this to be accepted. We saw a quote somewhere at Reddit or some, one of those things, you know, and I have absolutely loved it because I would say growing up, and I've mentioned this before, but I was considered like a rebel, which is funny because if you knew my life, you'd be like, what the hell was so rebellious? (laughs) But just loud, outspoken, finding my own way my whole life. And um, 
this quote was like, the rebels in the family are just the ones that see through all the bullshit. <laughs> that's so good. And I was like, that's it. That's what it, it's not. You're not even a quote rebel. It's just, you just see all the bullshit and you're like, and eh, I'm you're a bullshit reader. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just loved it. Cause I thought, because I've been called that my whole life and I just find it, as an adult, having children now, like almost hilarious. Yeah. Where I'm like, oh, if my children were only as rebellious as I was. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I, but I, we saw that quote and I was like, yes, that's exactly what it is. And I hope my kids are all rebels just for that reason. Dude, you got a, we got a five-year-old yeah. rebel right now. I'm trying to figure out what to do with this kid. Speaking of, speaking of shame, poor, poor, poor Liam, I shamed him this morning because his big brothers taught him how to uh, flip people off. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So 12-year-old beating up 5-year-old, and 5-year-old starts kicking him. 12-year-old pinches 5-year-old. 5-year-old gives 12-year-old the bird. <laughs> that happened this morning, right? So speaking of things that are outside of socially constructed norms, 5-year-olds shouldn't know the bird. So needless to say, I was a little pissed off this morning. So my rebel is five. Hey, I'm com- conversations. It's fine. I said the word freak yesterday and Ripkin's like, oh, that's an F word. I'm like, <laughs> you're right. Yes, it is. That is yes. an F word, but it's fine. And he's like, but isn't that one of the bad ones? I'm like, eh, you're thinking of the wrong word, bud. Five. So, so my, fun. Uh, so fun. Speaking of funny things like that, my eight year old, so he's in third grade. They just, we just had parent teacher conference last week. And they had these posters that they had to make. You know how they hang up stuff in the hallways for mm-hmm. everyone to see. Well, they had to type up why they were unique. And so, oh, I saw you post this. This you is so cool. This? Okay, sorry. Go ahead. So cool. So my eight-year-old put on there. Like we, we go to parent-teacher conference, and I'm waiting for his T-shirt, and he's like, "Oh, look at my poster," and and I'm looking at it, and I'm reading why I'm unique. And so, I look on there, and he's like, "I am unique because I am not Mormon. I we do not believe in the teachings." And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Shame. Yeah. yeah. Like my totally, instant like, reaction was like. What are they going to think? You just like, this is hanging in the hallway. You and you're just like, what did Everybody your teacher knows. say? And I'm about to walk in and have a conversation with her. Like, I'm not prepared for that. Like, we've been out of the church for years. Like, I don't. But my first reaction was, totally. you just put that out there. Like for everyone mm-hmm. to see. And he is grinning from ear to ear. Like. He's so proud. See, I am unique. Like, I'm not Mormon. And. <laughs> And around here, that is unique. (laughs) I wanted to tell him like, oh, that's so brave and that's so cool. But I was like, that for him is like nothing. He's just like, that's a fact. Mm -hmm. I'm not Mormon. We don't believe in the teachings. And it's funny because we went to the grocery store this morning and he said, mom, do you like that we're not Mormon? And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, do you like that we don't go to church? And I said, well, of course, because I made the decision to not go to church. And I'm like, what about you? And he's like, yeah. I like, like, I would hate to sit there for all those hours and just listen to all that. And I'm like, yeah, but that there's so much more to it than just that. He's obviously getting questions from people at yeah. school because mm-hmm. now he's starting mm-hmm. to talk about it more. And I mean, of course he's, is. it's hanging up in the hallway <laughs> of their school. I'm sure well, a lot of people school, are starting to ask questions. But I feel like those types of kids, they do just ask whatever question. Yeah. Because yeah. there's no filter. There's no filter. Yeah, yeah. So they're like, what? You don't go to church? Why don't yeah. you go to church? Why don't you go to church? Do yeah. you not like going to church? Do he... It's funny, his reaction, though, is like, I love how untainted it is because he never has been before, not mm-hmm. enough for him to remember going. Yeah. And there's something really refreshing about it, it, like seeing his own mind of thinking, like, why we don't go and what we do believe in. And, you know, we, my 
in-laws live in St. George and we were visiting him like a month or so ago and we went to go get yogurt and we're in the car and he says to grandpa, grandpa, do you know what your spirit animal is? And he was like, what's a spirit animal? And Jet had this whole conversation (laughs) about the universe and your spirit animal (laughs) and your horoscope and like all this stuff that Brandon and I just started laughing. Like I wish I could have, I should have recorded the conversation because I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. Because I'm like, he knows, he knows he's a part of the universe. He knows he's connected to something so much bigger than just Mormonism and the culture and Mm -hmm. But yeah, there was a slight panic in my mind. Oh, sure. (laughs) Seeing the world through younger kids' eyes, honestly, even my teenagers and adult children, they just have this completely different thought process than I ever grew up with. And I just, and all of my kids think a little different on like what's next, what's going on, what life is about. And I love it because I feel like I'm learning from them. Totally. Because I grew up just this one way, this, you know, I don't know how to explain Just, you know, there's only one way. There's only this. There's only this. And so even for me, I'm having to like really explore to have that open mind because mm-hmm. it's it's not what how I was raised. Where with them, they're just, it's all them. It's all what, from their perspective and their experience. Yeah. And I'm like constantly learning. I love talking to my five-year-old about the universe and God and yeah. who these people are because I've never taught him anything. It's just his perspective from watching the world mm-hmm. and I love it it's and I'm amazing like, I, how much they know like I don't want to way more than I know yeah because I'm like you are just absorbing everything all around you and I want you to continue to absorb mm-hmm. I don't want to like halt that in any way yeah and I love it they don't have a social construct to tell them what is and is not acceptable mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing yeah, it Maybe really we're doing is. something right with our kids. I don't know. I kind of felt like that. Like after I was I, like, I, I, I might be the so. coolest mom ever. I'm going to say <laughs> <No>. that. <laughs> There's times. Yes, you are. I'm going to pat myself on the back. There's like, times yeah, that was pretty I'm really good. worried though that like my kids are going to be ostracized. And living here, this yeah. is just something you think it's about. It's a definite right? fear. Yeah. So, so my, actually this could be funny or insult some people. Sorry if you're insulted by this. Uh, Eli, who's my eight-year-old, he wanted to wear his youth shirt to school. And he goes to put it on and then he starts taking it off. And I'm like, what's going on, man? He's like, I can't wear this to school. All the kids will make fun of me because everybody likes BYU. Right. And of course it's about football, but he just can feel this like I'm different thing. And so wearing this is like a standout. I'm different than the status quo. And that's hard for an eight year old to do. And so I was like, listen, buddy, if any of the kids come up to you and say, BYU is better than Utah, you just say, it's okay that you like BYU. I'm just glad the Utes have won eight years in a row. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I smart told, dad. I, sorry, smart mouth dad. Smart ass dad. And I told that Tim to do it. And he said, Dad, I said it to one of my friends. And my friend laughed and gave me a high five. And I was just like, Yes. <laughs> it worked. Hooray. Win. Children are kind. Because <laughs> you say that to an adult and they're going to get offended. Right. Uh, and so, but like, that's what I'm hoping the kids can because all that kid heard was, around. "I'm glad you like that team," and the rest yeah. went. <laughs> yeah, but isn't that so? Like you just said it. Like yeah. if you would have said that to an adult, they would have been offended. I'm like, why can we not be more like our kids? I know. Don't be offended. Like you're making that choice to be offended, just like, and I, I do know. it too. I mean, I get, I get offended, offended by too. stuff. Totally. Totally. But I'm like, I wish yeah. I didn't. I wish I was more like my son, who was just like, Psh, I'm not Mormon. It's yeah. cool. Whatever, you know. <laughs> like, off the back. And for the most part, I am, but it was, it's refreshing. Um, I, I wanted to talk to you, though, and maybe this isn't like 
the most appropriate space in the in middle of the sure interview. But when I've had people read the book, and actually before I put it out there, a lot of people said, you know, it's really based on grief. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's kind of what it yeah. is. That's what happens with the birth mom. But I was curious how your kids have handled like the grief and how you've handled them with the grief. Like I always look back and I think if anything, it, it as much as it has been shame, it's been living with grief, grief. since I was 19 mm-hmm. and how that's affected my life and, and the decisions that I've too. made. Separating like, yeah. this is my fault. I, there's something wrong with me. Shame. And I'm just freaking sad. And there's a loss, which is grief. Yes. Totally. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Like, Great what, question. What are, I don't know. What are some of the things that you've like noticed or, you know, I think sometimes I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, so with my kids, they're all like such different ages, right? You've got like Ripken, who's five. Just the other day, a friend came over and he's showing him all the pictures of the kids. And he goes, that's Bridie. She's dead. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> me, and kids, me and Kev were yeah. just like, we both looked at each other like, that was so awkward. But his friend thought nothing of it. Like, oh, cool. Because he's five too. Kids are the best. And I just was like, it is so funny watching all my kids because they have been so different, mm-hmm. different times, different things. Um, you know, the older kids I feel like have dealt a little bit more with maybe some regret, some, probably some shame, some guilt, mm-hmm. kind of similar to Kevin and I, you know? And so they've had to deal with that differently. And then my two in the middle who were like just in those teenage rough, rough years, it's like my daughter will talk to me quite a bit more than my other kids will. And we have conversations a lot. And then I have a 14 year old son who literally never wants to talk about anything ever. Doesn't really say her name ever. Doesn't really talk about her. Just avoids the whole thing. And I, so I just feel like I'm constantly like, okay, who needs if Who needs the most help right now? Yeah. And it's different all the time. Like yeah, I, I I'll tell Kevin, I'm like, I'll feel like, okay, this kid's good. They're doing good. And so we got to work on this one because this one's struggling. Mm-hmm. And then they'll get in a good place and someone else is struggling. And it's, you know, it's probably just having so many kids that they're all just in need at different times. Yeah. It's basically the same parenting without the grief. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we do that too. It's totally, yeah. And I agree. I don't know if it's any harder necessarily. Yeah. It's just more life. And I feel like for them, I don't know. I, I honestly, there's a lot of things that have changed in the last you know, four years for us that I don't know. We don't always ask them what they want or how they feel about it. Mm. You know, it's like since leaving our religion, we've changed how we do a lot of things. Yeah. And then about the same time, Bridie passes away and we change how we do things. And it's like this constant change of, you know, holidays aren't the same. Birthdays aren't the same. The way Kevin and I are together isn't the same. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. Yeah. I, we don't know what the hell we're doing. That's really what it comes <laughs> down to. It makes me feel better. Like actually. playing it by ear every single day. Well, yeah. The cool thing is, is I'm like this passive observer in your life. That's semi slash very involved in your life. <laughs> I was going to say my family therapist. I'm like, Matt, who else, who else can I send to you? Please. <laughs> well, Cause I work with all your kids mm-hmm. and except for, the one you talked about. I want to talk about <laughs> one day, Kale. He will come. He will come. I'm just kidding. Um, but also, we're like 
freaking best friends. And so we do mm-hmm. everything together. And so I see your family and how you guys raise your children. And one of the things that I think you have uh, done extremely well is you've kept her alive. Yeah. She's alive to your family. In memory, in thought, in presence, in purpose, right? Like her, the meaning of serving in your family is revolved around Brighton. Brighton, yeah. And I literally had a conversation with one of your children yesterday about how she's going to do better at doing that and finding meaning in what she finds purpose in life. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really beautiful thing that your family has decided to do, that you've modeled for a lot of other people. And I think that's probably why you can go from kid to kid to kid and they're actually all just running through it like you would normally go through grief because you've found meaning in it, you've kept it alive, and you've given purpose to your life now. And it didn't destroy what once was. It changed what once was. Yeah, it just changed. Right? And I think one of the most beautiful things you said in the first podcast was Bridie's death was your birth. Mm. If I can say that without crying, it's a miracle because <laughs> it's such a beautiful thing to hear that, that you can find and anyone out there listening to this or whoever can find meaning in whatever struggle they go through. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what we do. Mm-hmm. That is the spiritual journey of the self. That is why we are here. That is the thing that transcends shame. That is the thing that transcends judgment and all this other bullshit that we deal with day in and day out is I get to decide what the tragedies mean to me. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what the tragedy is, right? Yep. And I just thought about this yesterday, actually. Weirdly, I was thinking, because it's, 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 it's been a, a different type of week. Um, we've met with some different people that have been going through some trauma and losing family members and... <clears throat> been a really cool experience, but it's emotional. It kind of gets my own brain thinking again and kind of takes me back a little bit to, you know, what we've been through in life. And I was just kind of explaining to them because they, they, people always ask like, how do you deal with this? How do you deal with this? Like just different questions. And I'm like, for us, if you walk in my house, Bridie is in every room we have, I have a picture of Bridie in every single room in my house, because to me, that's what it means. She's still here. Mm-hmm. And I want that to be a constant in my kid's mind that mm-hmm. she is still here. And then the other thing is too, I just thought, um, I thought I, I wouldn't be who I am if, if she hadn't passed away. Do I want her to? No. Would I go back and be like, I'll be the shittiest person alive if I get to keep her. Mm-hmm. I don't even care. Yeah. But it's like, it, it was that trauma was what like, threw me into wanting more, wanting like, you know, enlightenment, if you call that or wanting you to find meaning. Yes. Mm -hmm. I I had to, it was that or go into depression forever. Mm -hmm. And I did not want that. And so I think that's what people need. I hope that's what people get from that is that it's like, you get to choose. Yeah. You know, shit happens and it's going to continue to happen. Yeah. You're not going to avoid it. Quit trying to fight it. Enjoy your life. But when it does happen, you get to choose whether you go and crawl into a hole and not talk to people ever again or you find 
what gives you meaning. You find that enlightenment, that spiritual side you didn't even know you had, Mm -hmm. and you start to pull it out, you know, in different ways. So that's, I think that's why we created this. (laughs) You know what I mean? This is a a fruit of that Mm -hmm. tree, this podcast and helping people and the growth of it and the community and... Mm -hmm. Thank you for coming on, Gina. Thank you. You're a freaking badass, as always. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I loved hearing just the changes in the last That's year. Awesome. So yeah. cool. And yeah, I am going to join in one of these. Thir- <laughs> yes. I have class every Thursday and have for a little while, and I'm going to have it for a little while longer. Yeah. But once that's over, I want to... Yeah. This is like Come what... On over. This is my <laughs> obsession right now is like... Because it is. We like, should just do our own little private. I'll oh, just guide you through a meditation. It's like, it's a weird, like a, a drug almost. When you get into that meditative, like really yeah. just good place, it carries you for like weeks. For yeah. me, it has, when I've really gotten there, it's honestly kept me in this like elated place for like weeks. So I'm like, I, that's, I think that's why I want people to do it so bad. So yeah, I yeah. feel that. You, yeah. okay. You, Gina, you messaged me because you heard our first episode and and we talked about the Finding Strength event. Yes. Maybe part of the Finding Strength event will be like a meditation thing with Gina. Yeah, we could totally do that. That'd be cool. Yeah. For sure, like a book signing, of course, because you're like freaking famous. No, I would love that. I would love (laughs) people to experience that. No, that would be super cool. Yeah, I think it would be really good. I've actually been drilling down on like different ideas of how to do it. We've talked Mm -hmm. to different people. We have a potential venue. We have an MC. You guys remember Robbie Law? Mm -hmm. If you haven't heard Robbie Law's episode, go back to this episode. I don't freaking know. Uh, It's a great episode, (laughs) but he could be the MC. He has a spot for us to do it in. We've been He's talking been to Kevin a little helpful. bit. Yeah, it's it's going to happen. March-ish. March-ish yeah, is when cool. it's going to go down. Beautiful. Yeah, um, I've had a bunch more. Mark reached out. A couple other people reached out. So yeah, super stoked. It's going to happen. We're working towards it. Yeah. Uh, once I get a house and like move into that house, I'm probably going to go down a little more. <laughs> yes. Up until that point. It's happening. You'll God, be I'm fine. Sure You'll be fine. Whatever. Let's do it. Anyways. Okay. <laughs> so two things we need from you, Gina. One, if people want to experience the meditation with you, mm-hmm. how do they do that? You go to the Centered Stone. I don't know exactly what their website is, but the Centered Stone, it's an American Fork. That's where the Salt Cave is. It's the second Thursday of every month okay. that I'm there. Can they there. follow you on social media? You can follow me on to, social media, okay. Gina Krotz, writer, um, and also my website, ginakrotz.com. Boom. And then the name of the book, one more time, and how do we get it? A Seemingly Unfillable Heart, and it's on Amazon. Oh, Amazon's yeah. the best. It is. It. And Kindle, I have the E version. Great. Yes. Also super easy. Sweet. Yeah. Thank you. You're freaking awesome. Thank you. Thank you for making my day better. (laughs) 